Welcome to the Compliance Week podcast, powered by Navix. For more information about Compliance Week, visit www.complianceweek.com. And now, let's get into the show. Hello, and welcome to the Compliance Week podcast, powered by Navix. My name is Allie McDevitt, data and research journalist at Compliance Week, and I'll be your host. Our goal with this podcast is to feature engaging discussions, offer practical insights, and tap into expert opinions to provide listeners with a comprehensive understanding of the impact and potential of digital transformation in governance, risk, and of course, compliance. Our guest today is Kyle Welch, Associate Professor of Accountancy at the George Washington University School of Business. Prior to becoming a professor, Kyle worked on the investment team at the Stanford Management Company, Stanford University's endowment, and at Standard & Poor's in the corporate valuation and consulting group, now part of Duff & Phelps. Kyle, welcome to the Compliance Week podcast. Thanks. Thanks for having me. So first of all, tell us how you made your foray into the area of compliance. So I'm a professor at George Washington University, and they employ me to not only teach, but also to do research. And it's a great job. It's a lot of fun because um, I have I basically get to see, okay, what kind of interesting questions are there out there and uh, and just pursue them. And I created this list. I'm, uh, I, I recently got tenure and part of it was because of the research I've done in compliance, but I created this list of like interesting questions. And one of the, the top things on the list was, is wouldn't it be interesting if we could get it like data on uh, employee feedback systems. And so um, I started the process of trying to figure out how we might be able to do that and do some research on it. And the research has been uh, pretty insightful and it's been very fun uh, to work with. So that's how I got involved. And so I work for the university and uh, uh, yeah, it's been it's been really great. Well, congratulations on making tenure. Yeah, very fun. That's great. It's a horrible system. It shouldn't exist, but I plan to exploit it for myself. <laughs> yeah, at least you beat the system, so that's the same yeah. thing. Yeah. So I know a prominent topic of your research has been on internal whistleblowing, and I read your Harvard Business Review article that you wrote with your colleague, Stephen Stubbin. It was called Throw Out Your Assumptions About Whistleblowing. And so before we jump into the main focus of the podcast, will you tell us if you can? You know, I'm putting you a little bit on the spot, but can you tell us what three lessons your HBR article establishes for leaders on how to effectively manage whistleblower systems? Yeah, so this this is the first dip in the pool for compliance that recently has come into a big wave of how do we look at data and how do we understand data? And that article, uh, we titled it Throw Out Your Assumptions because so many people outside of compliance, a fair amount inside of compliance get it, but so many outside of compliance have the wrong intuition uh, related to to how compliance systems work. So the three things are, first, more reports is better. And the reason why it that's a throw out your assumptions on it is if you go to the average audit committee or, or average manager that's not in compliance, they will think, oh, if I have more reports of problems in my company, my company is doing worse or there's more issues. And that's not the case. Um, all companies have issues. All groups of people have issues. Every like every family has an issue. Uh, the the number of reports is an indication of your uh, necessarily problems, but it is an indication of how much communication you're getting. And so the right response to more reports is not, oh, what are we doing wrong? It's do we have enough people in compliance to actually take all the information that we're getting in? So the first one is more reports 
generally is better. It's, it's better uh, across organizations for lowering fines, lawsuit amounts, uh, a number of fines, number of lawsuits, and the amount for both that you end up settling for. So that's the first one. The second one uh, is pretty counterintuitive. It was brought about um, uh, uh, by the presidential impeachment that was happening. We, we just looked at secondhand reports. And these next two are, are kind of counterintuitive in the way you think about them, because a lot of times people think about these compliance systems and they think, oh, people are submitting information. But if anybody's been on the receiving end of these compliance reports, they know there's two effects of this. There's the effect of getting information and the ability of the person getting in the information to actually read it, understand it and filter through it. And so what we did is we looked at secondhand reports and we found secondhand reports were more likely to have a substantiation rate and more likely to prevent uh, future problems in a way that the average reports didn't. And we didn't think this made any sense. And as an academic, I, admittedly, I have not dealt with these hard compliance things that most people have done. And so it wasn't making any sense. And it wasn't until I talked to a couple of compliance people about what was going on with their regressions. And they said, oh, yeah, of course. And I said, well, what's going on? And they said, well, somebody that reports something secondhand, they are it, it passes a filter, their own filter for quality. And so it's not that you should throw out firsthand reports, it's that secondhand reports, you might think secondhand information is need to be discounted in a court setting, yes, but as far as in like looking for a problem, oh my gosh, you definitely use that, right? So if my, I have five kids, and so if my youngest kid says, hey, Quentin's doing a naughty upstairs, um, that's not much information. But I definitely go upstairs to see what the naughty is, and uh, and I get some I, I get I, I get something from that, right? So uh, 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 these are investigations; these are not courtrooms. And so for investigations, you want to take all the information you get. And if somebody's reporting secondhand, um, that does not mean that it's a, a report that should be thrown out. Um, and it's interesting because the Office of Inspector General was not allowing anybody to report secondhand information which was like totally the wrong approach, but it was based on this intuition of like, oh, secondhand information, we really need to have it. But people don't, people don't have frivolous secondhand reports. They have frivolous firsthand reports, but not secondhand reports. Mm. The, and the final one uh, is related to anonymity and uh, for rapid fire. Uh, with anonymity, we often think about, oh, anonymous reports are super important and they are. We need anonymous systems and the ability for someone to report something anonymously. But if you've ever investigated something, you know the problem with anonymous reports. And the problem is, is that you can't ask questions. Now you can, like uh, systems like, like Navex, they have a way for the anonymous reporter to log back in and have some communication back and forth and some emails. But most anonymous reporters don't end up doing it. They look at it like putting a note in a bottle and sending it out to the compliance team. And so, and, and you can just think of their logic. Look, I'm already nervous about doing this, so I'm going to choose to be anonymous. And so I... I'm going to give you the information I have. And the reality is, is that there's questions that need to be asked. Even they, they feel like they're given enough information, but majority of reports, anonymous reports end in un unable to substantiate for lack of information. And so anonymous reports are not nearly as important as having a name. And so if you get no details in a system and you just get someone that says, hey, I'd like to talk to someone, that's far more valuable because you can have a conversation that's off the record. You can have a conversation that's behind closed doors and you send in your most empathetic and warm hearted person in your compliance team to have have build that relationship of trust so that they can actually dish and let you know what's going on. And so that was the third finding and all three of these are kind of counterintuitive. And so, yeah. That's a great summary. Thank you so much. So are we to take away that if a company has more reported naughties than their 
doing better than <laughs> yes the, their <laughs> compliance their compliance system is better on average and so we talk about averages here and you have to look at these things over time right and and analyze the data in a way that you can actually tell the complete story but if we're just taking from a 30,000 foot view what what companies I'd much rather run a company that has a lot more reports in the system than the company that has at the lowest end of the scale for sure every right. day of the week right well thank you for taking us through that and again the name of that article was throw out your assumptions about whistleblowing it's in the harvard business review so check that out if you want to read more about that so um Given the theme of the podcast series, we're going to move on now and talk about the digital transformation of internal whistleblowing and investigations. Um, Kyle, you're going to talk to us a bit about various compliance dashboards that you've examined in your research that have allowed some companies to leverage hotline data. But before we do, we're going to start with a quick lightning round. Speaking of rapid fire, three questions to break the ice. So are you ready? Yes. Okay, so answer as quickly as you can. The first one's just for fun. Okay. So you said you were the father of five children. The holiday season's upon us, so tell us, when it comes to holiday shopping, do you prefer online shopping or going into the stores? Um, going into the stores if it's with my kids so I can see what they like. And uh, yes, going into stores. I like the traditions. Mm, love it. Good answer. Okay, so the second and third questions are a little bit more on topic for today's podcast. Um, and if you are listening carefully to what Kyle already walked us through, I feel like you've already answered these, but we're going to go with them anyway. Okay. Um, so which internal reports do you think are more valuable to an employer? Anonymous employee reports or those submitted by name? Uh, those submitted by name are much more likely to be substantiated, much more likely to be identified, and less likely to have problems with information. Doesn't mean anything should be thrown out, right? I keep I want to make sure nobody should throw out, uh, but they they are super important, and people need to do trainings around them to to make people feel comfortable giving their named reports. So named reports, yes. Got it. Thank you. Okay, the third and final question. What's more important to being an effective compliance officer, knowing how to leverage data or having the interpersonal skills to deal with people? Interpersonal skills every day of the week, every day of the week, uh, because if you have culture, each strategy and data every day of the week. And so having the right culture and the right personalities on the team, you'll figure out the other side. So, yeah. OK, great answers. Well, thank you for humoring the lightning round. Let's move on to the main discussion points of today's webcast on the digital transformation of compliance. So, like I said, you already um, you've conducted a webinar in the past that looked at various various compliance dashboards created by publicly traded U.S. companies that track their internal rep reporting data. So, after looking at the data on a compliance dashboard, what are the baselines that leaders should establish to better metabolize the information they're seeing? So this is a really important thing. So there's a lot of uh, conversations about data. I've heard a compliance week and other conferences and nobody ever sees the data. Nobody ever looks and sees, okay, what are other people doing? And I think it's because people are afraid to, to, to share data. And so I've been able to talk to a couple companies and get some common things and things. Uh, this will make sense as I describe it, but it's kind of nice seeing somebody else do it to see, okay, oh yeah, that makes sense why you'd want to track it. So um, what I'd start off by saying, as far as digesting it, first first of all, there's like a push-pull 
to this data. The, the, the push to this data comes from the DOJ in the sense that, look, you have to do this if you're a publicly traded company. And um, if you get in trouble uh, uh, with the DOJ, they're going to look at your compliance system and look for something like this. They're going to look for a dashboard. They're going to look to see if you're doing the right thing. And so there's hallmarks to show that this is actually something you care about versus a checkbox type of thing. Um, and so that push is there, but there's a pull that companies, good companies realize, and the good companies realize this, and they end up ended, end up ending up with like, you know, two or three dashboards on this. But uh, the pull is that you get ahead of problems and you just avoid headaches of fines and lawsuits and all these other things that just get worse by not paying attention to your problems. I mean, it's very easy to, to lower the amount of reports in the system. You just make it so that nobody knows where to report them, right? So here's the, da here's the data categories and buckets that I'd have um, if I was creating a dashboard, okay? First is uh, I'd have some category that had, uh, you know, some sort of schedule or status of your projects. So there's different compliance projects you're going to have. You're going to have a compliance, you know, uh, your your yearly compliance that you actually examine the whole thing. You're you're freshening up things. You're going to have uh, 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 trainings that you have to do. The the kind of actual like you know systematic stuff. You might have new tools that you're doing, right? So there's a new tool you're rolling out. Uh, maybe a uh, something associated with internal audit or third party compliance. I'd have something in this dashboard that just gave some sort of status of these, some sort of like in process, behind schedule or on schedule type of thing. Um, because you need to track where those things are in your system. And then the next part is, um, I, I, I'm, I'm a little biased on this, but uh, the next part with this compliance is you, you have to focus primarily on the reports in the system. Now, every source of uh, uh, compliance tool is is very useful, right? There's a lot of ways people can identify problems, right? Um, there's in, internal audits uh, that happen. Uh, there's the external audit. But when it comes to actually identifying problems in the organization, there is one clear outstanding like winner and that is humans seeing something and then telling somebody about it it is the winner every time right uh the uh, association of certified fraud examiners does this analysis every year and it you know tips ends up beating out all the others and and then even the second most reported is internal audit but guess what if you talk to anybody that does internal audit they say well how did you do you find it and the majority of those are found by, well, it wasn't through the audit. It was because I was sitting next to someone. They said, hey, you should look at this. And so human speaking up is the way we find this. And so your dashboard needs to have a fair amount of analysis on those internal reports because that is the way that these things are uncovered. So I would have something that would that would report on investigations, uh, you know, a, a section that says, you know, something along the lines of like, you know, how many investigations are current uh, and what are the closure rates? Here's an important thing, though, and this is very important that you you mention to your compliance team, in particular people that are managing the reports. I would not mention to them that you are looking at case closure times because it's very easy to close something in in a system and then keep a side report, right? And so it's it's this uh, as soon as you start measuring it, you start messing with it, and so measure it, but don't 
don't have your compliance people respond in a way that makes it so that they can manipulate these things and close them quickly because they could close them and then keep a side schedule or things like that. What you want is you want things in this report to be accurate and truthful. So be very careful what you measure and how it's communicated because your compliance team can easily manipulate these goals. Um, they're not beyond it. And then I'd have something that, you know, talks about, you know, what the outcomes are. You know, did you, did you did, was this person put on probation? Did they get a warning? Did they, is is this like, a, is, is there, are they terminated, right? Like what was the response and where is that at? And so the first two sections are more about, okay, where is compliance? And the next thing is, is okay, what is the status of what's come come through our system and how are we dealing with it? Are we having more, less uh, response? And unfortunately for the majority of those things, that is going to be company specific. You're not going to be able to benchmark those to other people. You're not going to be able to do anything. And so you're going to have to look year over year and say, okay, how are we doing this year? How does it compare to last year? What are some factors that might be a difference uh, in the years looking looking at that? Um, uh, and and then, I mean, uh, and, and then what you do is you do an analysis and say, okay, where are allegations? what type of allegations are being made? And so you could cut them out by by allegation type. You're going to get more HR allegations, as everybody in compliance knows. You're going to get more uh, HR allegations than you are, uh, uh, you know, say, uh, accounting and ethics ones. Um, and so whatever comes in, you want to have something that looks at allegations, where those allegations are by type, as far as like where they've, they've been at over time. Um, and then you might want to have the a, a, an aggregate view too, because what happens is is that you'll do something, you'll you'll do a training, or you'll do a, a, you know site visits, or there'll be a new manager. Um, there'll be things that happen, and so if you look at things these things over time by quarter, what you'll see is you'll see uh, peaks and troughs, and as you as you adjust things in the compliance system, you'll be able to tell. Okay, this is what's causing a peak. This is what's causing the trough. Oh, we uh, we we said okay, we changed our level of substantiation, right? So let's say somebody has a claim and uh, they claim something that is not quite something that takes a long time to investigate, but their her feelings were hurt or something like that. They report in the system their feelings were hurt. That wouldn't make a substantiated claim before, but it makes a substantiated claim later. So you need to be able to explain things and look at over time and. By doing those things, you kind of get into a good spot with your deck. Finally, this is the last thing. I, I apologize. I've talked a lot about this. The, 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 the last part is you have to benchmark your aggregates by industry because this has really been fluctuating by year. So in in during the Me Too movement, you saw big spikes of people feeling like they could report. Uh, during COVID, you saw a big trough as everybody went home and then big spikes towards the end of the year. And you won't know if your system is going haywire <laughs> or if it's something with the year. So you need to benchmark it by industry and year. Uh, and, and there's a number of industries that do this really well. Defense industry does this really well. Banking industry does this really well. Uh, I know Navex offers uh, benchmarking reports. That has to be done too. And that combination is is the valuable kind of like deck that's the deck hopefully Thank that wasn't you. too much i was like i was like yeah that's, yeah you gave us a lot here that's so what i see let's see if we can try to recap some of the things that you've been saying so one thing that stuck out as i was listening to you is you saying you know someone reports that their feelings got hurt that's that's a pretty subjective area 
Yeah. Right. So if we're talking about, um, you know, objective metrics of compliance data, can you just identify or just itemize for us what are the most important metrics for compliance data that leaders should have on their dashboard? Yeah, reports per employee is what you need. Uh, substantiation rate of those reports, substantiation allegations by employee, um, and how that changes over time, and then how long, how much are you know, how much are anonymous, how much are not. Um, uh, I would take that as a proxy, like all these things. Here's the important thing with most people that are familiar with data know that data doesn't give you answers. When you do, when you work with data well enough, it just gives you good questions and places to explore. So you should look at this deck and say, oh, I've got a question about this. I wonder what's going on there. And, uh, and you'll have to go talk to someone to figure out what's going on. Oh, what, you know, what's going on with our case closure times? Oh, we have a holdover because, uh, you know, uh, we had something happen with the audit. There was an audit report that came in or something with accounting and accounting closures take longer. Right. And so uh, uh, that's what I would say is that you, you, you need you need those those metrics. Those are those are the key metrics that 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 you would need if you were just to say that's reports by employee, uh, uh, substantiation by employee. I would say the percent of anonymous reports over time, and I would take that as like grain of salt, but I'd take that as a reflection of the trust that your employees have. Some people are always going to just want to report anonymous because they they think that the People are going to get out to get them, uh, but the more you do these trainings, the more you 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 help your employees realize that they're heroes by speaking up, and that they're going to be treated as such. They won't. You avoid that problem. So. Okay. Perfect. Thank you so much. So I heard you say at one point that um, one thing you don't want to do is tell your compliance staff that you're measuring. Like, I think you. What did you call it? Um, uh, closure, uh, time to close. Yes, time to close. So can you talk a little bit about why, why, why you said that? Well, I don't know if you don't want to tell them, but you don't want to make it like part of like, uh, like, oh, you're not doing well because your closure times are so long. The reality is, is this is a very human process. The whole thing, uh, the success around this tool as being the most successful tool is that humans are involved and humans aren't like computers, right? Like humans there, there needs to be trust. There needs to be time. And so as a result, what, what you don't want to do is measure it and then have people like you, you could just see this happening. Somebody saying, ah, you know, I'm I'm my closure times aren't aren't doing well enough. I'm just going to close this case right now. I'm going to put everything down and I'm just going to follow up tomorrow and I'm just going to close it down. And I get worried about that because I'm an accounting professor and I'm we care a lot about measurement and it's very easy to game that. And so what you don't want to do is you don't want to get it to get gamed. What you want to do is to say, okay, are my people actually working based on my assessment and my relationships with them? And do I need more people? If you have closure times that are increasing, you want to be able to know, oh, do I need to add somebody else to my compliance team? Not, oh, you know, I think everyone's sit, you know, sitting on their thumbs. So, yeah. Great. Thank you. So, you know, I, part of the purpose of digitally transforming compliance is that people can visually see what are the hallmarks of a compliance program that's working well and that ha a company that has a healthy culture. So can you tell us based on your research and your survey of compliance dashboards, what are those hallmarks that the most successful organizations have that yep. have healthy cultures? 
Yeah, so the ones that I look at and I say, wow, they're they're doing something right. Um, there's kind of like uh, uh, three main buckets. There's the detail, like it's a bucket of reporting for internally, what's going on with their compliance system, right? Um, and that's like the status reports that I talked about. Uh, uh, and, you know, trainings, different things are rolling out. What's going on in response to what's coming in? Uh, and then what's what are the trends associated in their report? And then there's a third category that's not talked about. And then uh, I, I, I have not really seen it implemented by too many, but there's a lot of external resources for gathering data about what's going on in your company, right? Glassdoor, Twitter, Facebook. And I know that that could be incorporated in compliance because I know people post things in different places. Uh, and that is also a way to get to, to, to get things in. Um, there's 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 providers of news stories, right? Negative news stories that come out and things like that. And you think, oh, it's our company. We're going to know everything that happens in the news about our company. Not necessarily. And so there's there's different sources that you can get that 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 add a lot of color uh, uh, to what's going on in compliance. And so the hallmark of it is one, you have a deck of some sort or a couple, it just short deck that's a high level and you're your organization meets and talks about that deck. Um, and it's not like, oh, this is what the data says. There should be questions going on. And you could imagine a compliance meeting being very like, well, we don't know what it means, but you should come to that question, the, the, the compliance meeting and say, okay, well, why is this happening here? What's going on here? Are we seeing a trend here? And and the compliance, uh, the people leading your compliance should be able to answer those questions and 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 have that feedback with management. So meeting regularly um, and then and then having these decks, I would say. Excellent. Great. Thank you. So I have a practical question to end the podcast today. So for organizations that are just looking to start the process of building a compliance dashboard, they're at the early stage of development. What are some concrete steps that you can recommend that they take? Where do they get started? The, the, the problem that most people have when it comes to data, it's that they uh, they get nervous about what they're like just getting started. So the first part, you're right, is you have to just dip your foot in the pool. So what I would look at is I would start look with I'd start with my hotline and I'd start with what's the status of our employee feedback. Uh, um, I'm sorry, the responses to it. So make a bucket bucket for who has written warnings this period, who's getting terminated, who's not, who's under uh, you know a, a probation period, and then I would have trends in reporting, you know, where, where are these closure times? So that's, that's where I'd start. And then as you look at it more and more, you say, okay, well, where were we at compared to last year? Okay. You'll, you'll get more inspiration for what your organization needs for what you do, because you might be in a, a customer facing organization where you actually have a lot of customer interactions um, and the customers, like there's problems reported by customers or there's issues with customers, not just internally. And so, um, you need to eventually customize it to whatever industry you are in and how you target them. But just getting started, putting some stuff on paper and thinking, how can we make this better? That's 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 the starting point to almost anything. So, yeah. Excellent. All right. Well, thank you. This is Kyle Welch. He's an associate professor of accountancy at the George Washington University School of Business. Kyle, thank you so much for your time today and for being on our podcast series, The Digital Transformation of Compliance. Thanks for having me. Happy holidays, everybody.